1: One of the things that I see as a peril of social media and email marketing campaigns and things like that is that sellers are hopeful that it will take the place of them actually having to develop a relationship with anyone. And if you're looking to go after big clients and uh, unseat an incumbent who has been there for years, you can't really do that without a relationship. So I think we all need to be very clear on what these tools have the ability to deliver and what they don't have the ability to deliver.
2: When Karen Cop was 11 years old, her neighbor who owned a franchise company told her she had a great phone voice and wondered if she'd like to try getting appointments for them. She won awards for this skill and it opened the door, pun intended, for Karen to launch her award-winning firm, Cop Consulting, where she holds Holds the title of chief door opener. And that's exactly what they do. Get smaller companies into bigger companies like Verizon, Kraft, and Target to name a few. As a speaker with broad appeal, Karen has presented to groups including YPO, EO, and EO University and women's presidents organization groups. She credits these experiences with helping her make Cop Consulting one of the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies and winner of the Smart CEO Award. Karen's talent for seeing a company's path to the cash has inspired her to help thousands of business owners and sales professionals secure initial meetings with hard-to-reach high-level decision makers at Pfizer, P&G, Time Warner, and the list goes on. An expert in business development, a best-selling author, and a prolific speaker, Karen is not only our guest today on the podcast, but she will be leading a workshop at SKU Camp in New Orleans September 30th through October 3rd. Her workshop is entitled Path to the Cash, Find Revenue Faster. You can learn more and register at SkewCamp.com. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. And now, to our episode with Karen Cobb, where I'm joined by Mark Graham, CommonSkew's Chief Platform Officer, to kick off the conversation.
0: Karen, we are so fortunate to have you speaking at SKU Camp, as well as leading one of the key workshops at our event in New Orleans in the fall. Can you give listeners a little preview as to what it is that you'll be speaking about.
1: We are going to be talking about the path to the cash, how to find new revenue faster. And what most people know is that scaling business development efforts and consistently finding new sales revenue is probably one of the most difficult and frustrating parts of business, bar none. And so what this this program is going to do is showcase from the getting that initial meeting straight through to closing the sale, where along the path do most people get stuck? And how can you not get stuck so that you could traverse that path faster and get to the closed sale sooner without it interrupting your schedule as much as it might typically otherwise do.
2: Well, a lot of folks may not know is that you've worked with a few distributors and actually you've consulted with some large distributors, small distributors. What did you learn that's unique to our business about the difficulty of trying to make new business development important?
1: So, yes, I have worked for many, many years with many different promotional products, distributors, suppliers. And one of the the things that makes business development in your industry so challenging is that when people are successful, they have no time to develop more new business and to keep their pipeline full. Mm-hmm. And there's there's just not mm-hmm. another minute in the day. And that's what I hear consistently across the board. What do you do when people are successful in order to not have the peaks and valleys that come along with not being able to do consistent business development?
0: Karen, did you discover any technique that can help the deadline-driven professional rise above their calendar and clocks to make business development a priority?
1: It's challenging. The The few things that we thought of that are not already being implemented out there, and some of the things that are being implemented out there are hiring staff to take over some of the administrative parts that the senior level rainmaker shouldn't be doing anyway, if at all possible. But a few other things that people can do is wherever possible, they may not have to treat everything in, in an urgent way. What they might be able to do is manage client expectations on when to expect things. So they leave themselves enough room to keep business development in their busy day and not create urgency uh, and fires all the time. Now, having said that, knowing your industry, a lot of it is fires and a lot of it is delivery quickly. But if there's any way to... uh, to manage client expectations in a way that gives you some breathing room, that would be an idea to to consider. Another idea Hmm. is scheduling business development time as if it was like a new prospect meeting with the prospect that you've wanted to get in to see for the last 10 years, right? This is somebody that you've tried to get in to see and uh, it hasn't worked and you finally get that all important meeting. There's nothing that's going to stand in your way of going on that meeting. So if you can consider business development time that important, go into a conference room, go into an office if you have have one, shut the door, put a note on the door that says, don't open this door unless there's blood. (laughs) Shut off your your phone, your cell phone, your email, uh, and avoid all distractions. And for that block of time, commit to doing business development and keep blocks of time like that on your calendar every week. Don't give
2: them up. Aaron, along those lines, you've consulted with enough promotional products distributors to probably have a good understanding of what their problems are. And one of the most dangerous things in our business is that you tend to develop a book of business. And once you do so, you become an account manager or account maintainer. You lose all the edge, all the hunger, all the discipline and that muscle that you develop to call on new business is sort of gone because now you're investing your energies in just taking care of customers. How do you manage to do both? Is it possible to manage a book of business and still prospect for new business and to be a little more direct with that question? You already know our business. What would you walk in and say to a distributor principal today? Where would you begin and are there tips that you would suggest for their team that they can implement right away? Yes.
1: Knowing the industry the way I do and the difficulty that people have once they're successful. It's like a double whammy. Here you are successful. How are you going to grow your book of business? And what I would tell the distributors today is when they're working with their sales teams is identify what each person who's responsible for revenue generating activities wants to do once their book of business has made them so busy that they don't have time for anything more. Because if they're truly openers, where these are the kinds of salespeople who are phenomenal at creating relationships where none existed before, the distributors are going to want to keep them in a sales opener role. If they're wonderful at maintaining client relationships, they may want to keep them in a maintenance kind of role. And then it also depends on what the desire is of the individual. Because if the individual desires to go out there and continually, get more accounts, then that person should be able to do that. But if there's no more time. And, and let's just make the assumption that everybody is uh, knows all the time management techniques and knows how to delegate and has done all of that. How do you free up time? I mean, you take a look at all the administrative mm-hmm. functions that somebody does and you give them to somebody else. But at the end of that, how do you create more time? Well, they're going to need to make a decision when somebody gets so busy, are they going to give them a salesperson who's going to take over and continually look for more business while the the rainmaker keeps the business going? Or are they yeah. going to do it the opposite way and have the rainmaker continue to look for new business and grow the staff underneath him or her and then do the handoff earlier in the, the process. And the way that works is that when the salesperson goes and develops a new relationship with a new prospect that becomes a client, to, that person needs to manage the new client's expectations on who's going to be coming in to do the work and maintain the relationship. Right. And I think that's one of the things I see. People don't want to give up the control over that relationship because they were the ones who opened the door. And therefore, they cause themselves to not have time to continue to open new doors. So what I'm saying is the distributor needs Mm. to make the decision with the salespeople who come in and build their book of business of what needs to happen once they get too busy to keep their pipeline full.
2: What you just said, Karen, is very interesting. There's something fundamentally wrong, I think, with our industry in that when we recruit a salesperson, we expect them like a little mini business to ramp up in a couple of years and pay for themselves. So then it's very difficult for principals to adopt this structure where you've got more of a rainmaker to con- continually do business development. Am I wrong about that assumption? I mean it seems to me that we've got sort of a fundamental flaw.
1: Well in what the I from what I've seen is that people don't want to make that decision. They just want the person who comes in yeah. and who is successful developing a book of business to just develop more business without giving them right. administrative or project relief uh, to be able to continue develop more business. And they don't want to give them a salesperson either because that's overhead. And so it leaves the person right. who's successful in a terrible pickle because there's only so many hours in a day and the people I know in your industry work like dogs around the clock to. To knock the socks off of their clients, because that's how they got that business. And there there really truly is not an extra 10 minutes in the day to add in business development time. And then it's a quandary and management wants to grow. And yet they can't based on a structure that they were responsible for putting in place in in the first place. So that's why I'm recommending to Mm. make this decision early on. What's going to happen when somebody completely fills their time successfully with a with a book of business? Now what? And to have that plan in place ahead of time. So there are no surprises and there are no gaps to the ability to grow.
0: I think you see that so much in our industry, Karen, because this idea of a direct drive, 100% commission model has been so ingrained in the industry for so long, but what I think you're seeing is that there's this emerging, probably say younger class, maybe a more modern class of distributor that is starting to think about things a little bit differently and that they haven't necessarily evolved from a more traditional, larger distributor yeah. that is that sees themselves as the quote unquote house. And then they've got a bunch of reps that are all across the country that sell and eat what they kill. Um, So I think I think that it's interesting to see and I don't know whether it's Mm -hmm. social media, whether it's technology, whether it's a more uh, a younger workforce that's coming in with different salary and compensation expectations. But I think it's encouraging to see that there's this there's a, a nascent trend in our industry now where you're starting to see people adopt more of what you're talking about from a sales comp perspective.
1: Yes, and what I've also seen in several organizations is uh, the high-level rainmakers who have successfully built their book of business on commission only, who are given the administrative people who may be a year or two out of college, and those people take a job which is projects. They they want to work on projects. They want to be creative, and I've seen companies who are forcing those people to go into a sales role just to build a new book of business and those people are are working against that. They have no desire to do that job. So the training that goes along with that is wasted on people who don't want that job in the first place, but they're very happy with the jobs that they were hired for, and they wanna keep working in those roles and have more business to work on They just don't want to be the people to go out and get that business. So now you have this quandary. You have the senior level person who, you know, doesn't have uh, any time. You have the low level person who never wanted sales in the first place. And then you have management who wants to grow. What do you do? So one answer is to hire a a person who's responsible for business development and finding new clients and then passing them over almost like a pitch and pass kind of plan to the different Rainmaker groups. That's one way to go. Another way to go that, that people have used our company for is to hire an outsourced senior level door opener who can have conversations at high levels in these big companies that most people wanna get in to see and it takes time and it's difficult. So that's another way to do it, but there needs to be a feeder no matter how you do it, whether it's a, a new salesperson internally or an outsourced person or somebody from your current team needs to clear time to get it done. If it's not done, if none of those choices are made by a distributor, then the distributor is making a conscious choice to not grow their business.
2: By the way, since we're on this topic a little bit, I, I encourage everyone to check out Karen's book Biz Dev Done Right: Demystifying the Sales Process and Achieving the Results You Want.
0: Karen, how has social media and the digital landscape in general changed how to get through to prospects?
1: So that's a great question. And social media has done uh, wonderful things for us from a marketing perspective and a creating awareness perspective from uh, Twitter, who where the younger decision makers may be following that. The older decision makers are not following that. Uh, LinkedIn is great for uh, awareness. There are many people who are using LinkedIn quite effectively to publish articles that people are reading because they're valuable, uh, or to, uh, to, Create relationships with second level or even third level uh, people. They also have um, LinkedIn sales navigator to help find prospects and things like that. So all of that is good from a connection standpoint. One of the things that I see as a peril of social media and email marketing campaigns and things like that is that sellers are hopeful that it will take the place of them actually having to develop a relationship with anyone. And if you're looking to go after big clients and uh, unseat an incumbent who has been there for years, you can't really do that without Mm. a relationship. So I think we all need to be very clear on what these tools have the ability to deliver and what they don't have the ability to deliver. LinkedIn connections are great as long as the person who's doing the connecting is respected by the person with whom you want to connect. And people tend to collect all sorts of LinkedIn connections, but they don't necessarily know them well, or they may not necessarily be at the right level that somebody needs to get in for an initial meeting in order to make an impact to unseat an incumbent. So it's really important that rather than waste time on all of this is to first establish who you really want to see out there and then go find out who knows them through your LinkedIn connections or if you want to use other social media channels it's fine but to first identify who you want to see and then clearly create a plan for how you're going to connect with this person and then once you do connect with this person it's the relationship that takes over it's the relationship that matters and everybody should just really understand that just because you use these tools does not mean that it gives you the out where you don't need to establish a relationship with someone new.
2: Karen, you and your team, do you find that cold calls are effective anymore?
1: We find that getting in the door with people that we don't know is effective. I have 19 door openers who are senior level business developers. Many of them were previously corporate decision makers themselves, and they represent our clients and get these doors open. Uh, What doesn't work is the kind of call where you're just going down the list and saying, do you, do you need it? Do you need it? Do you need it? Do you need it? That doesn't work at all because it has nothing to do with adding value or starting a relationship. But if you have an identified group of prospects for whom you are an obvious solution and they would willingly pay f- what you want to charge for your products and services, and you have that group and then you have a sales message that is so compelling that they'd be crazy not to take a phone call with you or take a meeting with you, that works. The consistency works. Being a pest doesn't work. (laughs) To answer your question specifically, it does work. Using phone and email for a specific group of prospects and saying something that's so impactful that they won't want to put off a meeting, that
0: works. Karen, you you mentioned your... um appreciation of LinkedIn as a sales tool. Uh, Can you share with us some pitfalls to avoid when using LinkedIn? Uh, I, I certainly know a few myself as someone who has been sold to via LinkedIn, but I'm curious to get some of your thoughts on this.
1: Right. Well, it depends on how you use it. If you use it for requesting a connection to someone else from somebody, you know, as I said before, make sure that the there is respect between the person you're asking and the person you want to be connected to. Also, and I saw this happen one time, if you are connected, make sure that you keep the person who did the connecting in the loop on how things are going. I was at a networking function one time, and I guess one person had introduced somebody to to somebody else that that person wanted to meet. And at this networking function, the one person who did the connecting said, hey, how's it going with so-and-so? And the person who had asked for the relationship just had a blank stare on his face, and he couldn't remember at all yeah. requesting the relationship or anything that happened since then. So it made the person who did the connecting feel very unappreciate unappreciated for the work that yeah. he had done. It's important to keep those people in the loop. It's important not to be too salesy early on in a connection with a new person asking to connect for a particular reason yes uh, but I just received an email uh, a LinkedIn invite yesterday from somebody I didn't know it wasn't a connection it was a just a brand new reach out and that person was a wealth manager asking me if I had a financial advisor and if I was open to talking to a new one He or she didn't create any value or reason why I would do that. I would say that is a complete waste of time.
2: Karen, regarding LinkedIn, are there features within LinkedIn that you absolutely love and recommend for business development? I mean, I know LinkedIn is basically a business development tool, but there are places from research that you can use as well as the the messaging component that are powerful for business development. Do you have a few favorites?
1: I do, and that has to do with research. This is what most people don't do enough of before reaching out to a new prospect, is their research. There's all sorts of uh, wonderful pearls of learning within somebody's profile, especially the awards they've won. And let's focus there for a second. One of the things that I found, especially within corporations, uh, that really moves the needle in terms of getting a new, a new vendor in and approved is having an internal champion. Now, that piece of it isn't new. Probably everybody listening would know that. But how do you pick out which kind of person is going to be a champion versus the kind of person who isn't ahead of the time that you open up communication. And one great way is to do research on LinkedIn. And what we've found is that corporate decision makers who have won awards either in their industry or in their companies are very often the ones who are looking for different ways to do things because they want to be recognized and they want to be noticed. So, If you put those people at the top of the priority list and even mention those awards and the reasons why they won them, especially if you do a little bit more digging, you can find out why they won those awards and pepper that into your sales message, into your communication and a reason to meet. I have found that moves the needle. So that's that's one way. It doesn't have to do with connecting, but it's a very important part of prospecting that most people don't make time to do, but the people who do make time to do that and further personalize their communication
2: win. When those folks are also very invested in the business and probably more well-connected than, uh, than other folks.
1: Yes, I think you can make that assumption. Absolutely.
0: And you know what I love about what you just said there, Karen, is, is that at the end of the day, it comes down to ego management. And I don't mean that in a, any nefarious way. Or any self-involved way, but I I think about the people who've been successful selling me, and it's usually someone that has done the research on me and my background and my business and my connections, and that's that gets them to the next stage. And it's just amazing. And I'm sure you're the, the two of you are the same way when when people try to sell you. Is that I I would say it's five percent of of any inbound sales requests that I receive that's actually tailored to me, maybe even less than that. And it right. just it's it's amazing to me how people don't do that, but at the end of the day when you in your example where you mention the idea of the award and noting that, that's helpful for the person's ego and it and that's why it's on the LinkedIn profile and I don't think there's anything bad in embracing that, but it's, it's important in terms of establishing that relationship and also the connection between the product that you're selling and the person that you're selling to.
1: Yes. And the personalization, I think this is where you're going with that is the personalization of that communication will rise above in terms of share of voice when it comes to an email or a voicemail that's left. If you personalize the outreach, one of the things that I'm told repeatedly by decision makers when I ask them, what's it going to take for these people to get in the door with you? And one of the things that they tell me is that they know when they've received an email, that was meant for 999 other people. They know it and they don't like it. They say that from an awareness standpoint, that piece of it's fine, but if you're looking for a relationship, right, the email must be personalized for them. And they're saying, do your homework, do your research. The information is out there and clearly explain to me why, I should have a conversation with you, why I should uh, write back to you if it's an email communication. And also be clear on what the ask is. Most people are not all that clear. They write five paragraphs, which nobody's going to read, and then their ask is at the bottom of all yeah, that. Yeah. You know, one of the, the tips is to put your ask right at the top, right in the first sentence. And then have para, maybe two paragraphs, three tops that each only have two sentences, yeah. three tops. People are reading this on their phones. Yep. If you want to make a, a difference, you need to get personalized and you need to be articulate in a very short amount of words.
2: Has one tactic stood out above all others in terms of getting response from a prospect
1: consistency is the tactic that sticks out. I know you probably wanted something more exciting and sexy than that, but that is what works, is consistency. And that is where most people fail. Uh, They fail on their way in the door, and they fail on that after they get in the door and on their road to the closed sale, is consistency and effective and timely follow through. I see it time and time again where sales that should close don't close. Because of the lack of timely and effective follow through, they are just not consistent. And I think we can take this right back to the issue of being so busy. And if somebody is so slammed uh, with with client requests over the course of a month, and they don't maintain consistency on the way in the door, or even after somebody has expressed, they go on the meeting, they they express a need, they don't necessarily move forward. That lack of consistency of not being top of mind will create yeah. a situation where the prospect will go somewhere else when they're ready to go. And I've had decision makers say this to me too, when I, when I interview them on what makes a difference for them in terms of the new vendors that they work with and and what doesn't make a difference. And another thing that they say is that people who uh, cozy up to them and they make them feel so special right up until they say they don't have an immediate need, if those people don't stay in touch, the sellers I'm talking about, the decision makers will drop them mm. and not consider them when it's time to make a purchase. Because they find it so disrespectful to have them develop a relationship only to be dropped like a hot potato that they won't include them in the decision set when they're ready to go. Right. So the, the key is consistency. The challenge is how do you do that? How do you find the time to get that done? Right. Which yeah. we talked about in the in the top of the call. Right.
2: Let's say, for, for example, a distributor doesn't want to change their infrastructure where they have more of a rainmaker type setting. And they really do want their account managers to do more <laughs> business development. And maybe I'm wrong about some of this, Karen, but I've talked about for a while about bite-sized business development. And we can take a salesperson's sales throughout the year and you can you can show them by the gross sales and the number of orders that you've done every month where the hill, mm-hmm. hilltops and valleys are. And what happens in this business, and you already know this, but what happens in this business is that you, you kind of lie to yourself <laughs> and say, when, I, when things slow down, right. I will. Or I I cannot wait to have the chance to. And the problem in this business is when it does slow down, you're kind of exhausted. (laughs) And then what happens is you just get ramped up to go do some business development or you just get started and then you get slammed again, which is a great problem to have. But then it's this endless cycle that I call it the industry dreadmill. Where you, you make these false promises to yourself and you don't deliver on them. And it's because of the cycles of the business. And, and part of that is because we keep trying to take business development and do this in huge chunks as opposed to developing in this in the discipline and lifestyle of our, our regular selling week. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Karen, I think it's a great segue when you talk about consistency to how many touches does it take to close the typical prospect today?
1: We talked about about this a little earlier before the call, but there's no one right answer because there are so many variables involved with that uh, from, and I can, I guess I can list them all from the talent of the person who's doing the reach outs to the time that that person has and the frequency with which they do the reach outs. Is it once a week or is it once every six months? If it's once every six months, the number, the answer to your question is going to be very different than if it's once once a week. It also depends on the prospects on the list. There's, there's so many variables that that number can't be answered with any accuracy. And I know that there's all sorts of published information out there, which if you think about it, just takes just a, a sample and you don't know the kinds of prospects that went into that sample. And it just gives you some information. The reality yeah. is that Number can change with every variable change that there is. You can be lucky enough to contact somebody just at the right moment. And this has happened to us when we, when we're representing promotional products companies with the door opener service where we contact somebody and it's just at that right moment and they just haven't had a chance to contact their current vendor. And we come up with a reason why. It makes sense for us to have that meeting and send our client in. And then all of a sudden our client has a new client. Well, my answer to your numbers question would be one.
0: (laughs) That's like lightning in a bottle when that happens.
1: Yes, right. And it doesn't happen often, but it does happen yeah. as long as you're asking the yes. right questions. It, it does happen. Yeah. We, we ask the question. Uh, first, we get the meeting and then we ask a question. What do you have coming? What do you have on your desk that you might need some help with? We can bring in some suggestions and that creates a whole yep. conversation that might not happen yep. if you didn't ask that question. So that, that piece of it's yeah. important. So in that case, the number would be one, but then we have other situations where the prospects are Thank sure truly happy with the vendors that they have. And there's really no opportunity, no matter how you slice and dice the pie, whether you go after the core business, big enchilada, or you go after it with ancillary buyers and different things that they have with smaller needs as a way to work your way in. And let's say they have no opportunity, but you need to maintain consistency because at some point, as long as they're an A-level prospect, something is going to change and you're going to be there to collect when they're they're ready to spend. And that could be two years yes. and, you know, 40 touch points. So it's it's an impossible number to give you. And uh, and the only thing I can say about this, which is the most important piece yep. about this, is maintaining consistency with the right group of prospects from the from the get-go.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also think what you're saying is don't give up because it's it's rare that you're gonna land it on that first call, I mean, as we discussed. But I think that what what's also interesting and maybe unique today in our selling environment is that a, a touch is not necessarily just seven emails or seven uh, phone calls. It could be the phone call with an email, with a drip campaign that is content uh, driven. Um, then you throw in some social media. Maybe there's an interesting article that is then shared with the customer. So it's a-
1: Yes. And in your industry, let's not for, forget lumpy mail. Absolutely. I mean, that that's Ooh. very effective with right. different-
0: Absolutely. But
1: it's a matter of, of how you send it also. You want to send yeah. it with the story of what was happening in that prospect's life that made them feel that they needed- to look at some different vendors at that time. Mm -hmm. A lot of people forget that when they're telling stories of success and case studies, they forget the part about why, why did that decision maker feel that contacting someone new made a lot of sense for him or her at that point? And then why did the, did they contact the seller's firm, right? Why, why did that happen? And then talk about the the creative lumpy mail that you've sent so that yeah. that's definitely um, in other industries you don't need the lumpy mail in this industry it's quite effective
0: well and then you've also got the role of marketing as well I think that distributors in in our industry that are also really good at marketing also have a leg up because marketing and sales work together so nicely and you know it's interesting that so, some sometimes you have a, a prospect that will convert into a client when they call the salesperson and say not only have I been receiving your calls and emails and great LinkedIn requests, uh, but I see you everywhere. Your marketing is fantastic. I just, I read about you online. I, I I see you at trade shows and you know what? I know it's been 18 months of me ignoring you, but now is the time and I've now made my decision because you are ubiquitous and and I, I just love it when a salesperson's efforts can be amplified by the larger company that they work for. And I think that that gets back to what we were talking about a little earlier on that sometimes that doesn't happen when you've got that traditional direct drive sales person model where they lack the marketing powerhouse of, 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 of who they're working with. So that's a general comment, but I just think it's interesting as to how marketing also plays a really interesting role in the concept of touches.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It creates that foundation of awareness and it, it all helps. Every bit of it helps as long as it's on strategy and no. it, it doesn't create any form of disconnect with a, with prospects. And that's one thing everybody has to keep in mind is any time there is a disconnect with prospects, it is very hard to overcome that with sales. So marketing and sales need to work together and make sure that any kind of message that's going out there is creating a connect The other thing I wanted to add to what you said when it comes to emails and voicemails is that uh, voicemail-email combination is what works. There are many, many, especially the younger sellers who are comfortable with email and not comfortable with any kind of voice interaction, whether it's live dialogue or whether it's it's voicemails. And this is uh, seriously holding them back from creating relationships, especially with the decision makers who are a little older than them. If the decision makers are, are older than the millennials, voice is an important, I would say, critical part of growing a relationship for an
2: enterprise-wide sale. Those are all emotional touch points. You want to touch them with everything that you can. For, it's ironic in our industry that we have such poor business development practices when we have, because of our medium – The strongest leverage to get in the door. In what ways have you seen promotional product product campaigns used? And is there an an effective way to use it in terms of placement or messaging? And you alluded to this a little earlier about the story or the message that goes with that campaign. Mm
1: -hmm. The one important point to talk about here is how they are misused. As a, a, and that which will create a disconnect and stop a, a relationship from forming. I think that's probably really important for us to talk about. And, and from my perspective, as well as other decision makers who I've interviewed, it really has to do with the gimmicky nature. Like sending a box, uh, let's say an iPad box with no iPad in it. People don't like that, It's especially if you don't know them. It's really irritating for somebody to sit around with a box on their Mm. desk and then it requires them to have to do Mm. something. That's the other piece of it is how much work is associated with the decision maker who receives this unsolicited. What does that decision maker have to do uh, as a result of receiving whatever it is you send? We want it to, we want to make it easy for prospects to like us and to say yes. And, So in terms of thinking about what you want to send that will start a relationship with someone new, don't send something gimmicky. You wouldn't like it if you got it, right? If it's gimmicky, if it's on strategy and creative and and well thought out, absolutely send it. But something that's gimmicky that will cause the prospect to have to do a lot of work is irritating. And that's a hard place to start a relationship.
0: Karen, this is a two-parter for you. So number one, when is a prospect just not right for you? And number two, when is a no really a no?
1: Okay, so when is a prospect right for you it involves making sure that you've identified what is an A-level prospect for you and what you don't want. Here's, this is a trick basket. People are, uh, are are excited when anybody wants to buy anything, because let's face it, sales is hard, but not every prospect is right for you. If the prospect is in a company that's a target of yours, or it fits your target criteria, and they may have a need that's sizable enough, that there's a kind of need that you're looking for, but they want to start out by ordering 10 t-shirts, then that's fine. If the company, if your A-level prospect criteria is uh, clients that are only $100,000 a a year ongoing or have that kind of potential, and yet this person is only looking for a one-and-done project, 10 t-shirts, never need anything else, ever, 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 and there's nobody else in the company who does either, well, then that prospect is probably not the best prospect for you. And one of the things that's really important to think about ahead of time is what are you going to do when you're faced with that situation? Are you going to do the 10 t-shirts anyway, in which case you do as good a job for those 10 t-shirts as you would for 100000 Or are you going to refer that to somebody else who would truly appreciate 10 t-shirts when for you it's not the right fit? But the first piece of this, as I said, is identifying who your A-level prospects are and who will you not work with. And then it becomes very easy to uh, identify who you work with and who you refer to other people.
0: All right. And then when's a no, a real no?
1: Yeah. So that goes back to who are the right prospects for you and being very, very clear on the, an A-level prospect for you. Because if somebody's an an A-level prospect and they say, no, it's really not a no, it's a not now. And that's a really important distinction to make because not now means continuity and relationship and continuing to stay in touch. There's a, the three P's persistence with patience without being a pest. So there's that, that nice fine balance there of being a resource mm-hmm. and being valuable and staying in this prospect's life on an ongoing basis to the point where at some point things will change and that person will buy from you. It will happen. It's just a matter of when. If you don't stay in touch, they'll never buy from you. I can promise you that. I think we need to switch our thinking to no is not now. And as long as it's an A-level prospect, you keep going because your competition won't. Dan Kennedy said, the difference between garbage and salad is timing. (laughs) So I encourage people to
2: hang in there. Karen, you're speaking to a distributor who needs to ramp up quickly. Maybe they just lost a big book of business, or maybe they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking, my God, I got to make this important and I got to make this important now. Or maybe they see on the horizon, they're going to lose some business. They have limited financial bandwidth, so they can't invest in this superstructure with the rainmaker and things like that. They just got to deal with the reality that they have in front of them. Business development is complex. Is there such a thing as a fast track? And if you were to sit down with somebody who is desperate today, what would be your first to you know first second third things that you need to do right now? So
1: that's a good question, and it happens to people who have not consistently kept their their pipelines right. full. That all of a sudden they get to a point where the projects are done. There's no additional projects coming, and they have that oh crap moment. Yeah. And um, oh crap is not great in sales because sales takes time, and developing big relationships is a slow dance. It's not a fast dance as much as people would like it to be. So what do these people do in their oh crap moments if they don't have the luxury of the time necessary to develop the right new relationships? The first thing I would say is you're going to call your current customers and you're going to find out. Uh, What do they have that you haven't already talked about that's coming down the pike and see if you can work on it now? You don't always have to reduce your price to get that business. You can just explain it in language that they will understand how valuable it'll be to them to get it off their plate and have it done now. So that's the first place I go is, is the current customers and find out what else they have coming up. You can also suggest things that they might not have thought of before, initiatives that they're doing, where promotional product would be a great add-on, something valuable. They haven't thought about it. Uh, That is going to be the fastest place. Uh, Then if there are any other departments, divisions uh, that where your decision makers know somebody and there's a personal relationship and then you can ask them, I I don't like using the word referral. Uh, I don't recommend it, but I do like the phrase, who else? Who else do you know? who has a, a more immediate need for a promotional item for a particular initiative and they need to get this underway. And so that way your decision makers will understand that this is something that you're looking for to get going a little sooner. The last thing you want to do is beg <laughs> and you don't want to appear desperate. People don't want to work with people who appear desperate. So even though you may feel that way, you need to be careful not to communicate that uh, so your current clients. The, se- the second place I would go are no-go proposals because if people were interested in you enough to ask you for a proposal, it's, there's a good possibility that whoever they chose didn't work out. It, they didn't do a good job. They're looking for something additional now, and they're willing to consider a, another vendor. So I would call those people back um, you know, whether you're desperate or you're not, uh, they're always yeah. a good place to get additional businesses. We call them the, the no-go proposals. And then your centers of influence after that. Um, who do you know who sells to the kinds of clients that you want to sell to? And might they be able to make a fast introduction? Because in this case, you need something fast. So you need to go to yeah. people who are very close in in your network.
2: Karen, on that topic of referrals, it's interesting to me how we sit on such a vast opportunity with referrals. And I talk with distributors about this, and I mentioned asking at the heroic moment. We rescue clients all the time for projects. Maybe it's something that didn't come in on time, or maybe it's something they forgot about and they need to call us. And when that project comes in and you're the hero, and that moment where they think, my gosh, you did it, thank you so much. That's usually the heroic moment where you can start asking for referrals because with referrals, what happens is you'll typically think, okay, i got to get more referrals. You'll call up a busy prospect. You ask for a referral and they can't think. They don't know your business. They don't know who else might buy. But suddenly when you've delivered for them in a heroic way, they kind of feel some leverage like they they've need to do something for you. At least that's something I've found. One other thing, too, that I highly encourage distributors to do is to develop this business development muscle now because what i've seen in the industry time and time again is if you don't have this in your business what happens is when you hit that desperate moment maybe you've lost a big book of business you take whatever comes and typically whatever comes you're you're more desperate to lower margins which means you're going to be you know with that client for a long time and the long term effects of not having a business development strategy in your business are just disastrous in this industry in particular
1: yes and it's very hard as we we've talked about today it's very hard to devote the time and resources to do it right, but the people who do it right win. Time and time again, those businesses are growing faster and they're healthier in the long run because of exactly what you just talked about, absolutely. But it comes to doing it right from the very beginning, from the strategy of who are the right prospects in the first place, to the sales message of what do we say to these people that will have them feel that they can't live another minute Without knowing me, like what, what do I say that's yeah. that compelling? That takes time right. to develop that. It's not like you could just pick that out of the air. You have, you have to figure yeah. that out. You have to be prepared with the answers for the objections because objections are coming. And if you're not prepared, you're going to get shut down mm-hmm. and the whole business development process starts. It's a critical to have the right people doing the right aspect of sales. The sales roles, and that includes people who are talented at opening to get those doors open. People who are talented at closing to be in the position to navigate through that approval process, especially in a large enterprise, and be the one selected at the end of that. All of those pieces are incredibly important. Going on the the meeting and being able to structure the meeting in a way that produces uh, the right outcome, lead nurturing paths critical. Just because somebody doesn't need something now doesn't mean they're not going to need something in three months. How are you going to grow that relationship effectively and in a way that is not just a, a touching base email, which does yeah. nothing for the prospect and doesn't do much for you either. So there are all these pieces yeah. and that's what we're going to talk about at SKU Camp.
2: And it's a good example of just how deep we can go in this topic because we've we've just crossed an hour And we could go on and on. And I have more questions because this is a topic that I have beat my head against the wall for years about. So, Karen, it's been thrilling to have you here to talk about this topic. I think it's one of my favorite topics. And I'm so glad you're going to be at SKU Camp with us and can't wait for
0: you to lead that workshop.
1: Me too. And thanks for having me. You guys are so easy. You make it being interviewed very, very easy.
0: Thank you, Karen. This was such a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.